0: Welcome to The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Daily Sales Show. We are so glad you're here. If this is your first time tuning in, we are here every single day. You can check out our full schedule of events at sellbetter.xyz or by scanning that beautiful QR code on your screen right there. Welcome in. Welcome in. So glad you're here. And if you uh, if you attend frequently, frequent flyer, welcome back. I want to give a huge shout out today. Um, our fabulous partners, Apollo and Audience Plus. I am calling you live from the Audience Plus studio in the beautiful Phoenix, Arizona. And um, I'm here with both Apollo and Audience Plus today. Huge shout out. Thank you to them for this wonderful setup today and for being fabulous partners of ours. Today's show is all about Harry Sims' top 10 rules to follow on your cold outbound strategy in 2024. So I have no one other than the fantastic, wonderful, fabulous leader, Harry
1: Sims. Welcome in. Thank you, Leslie. I'm so glad you're here. Appreciate you. I appreciate you having me on. It means a lot. Um... I just loved
0: our conversation and I'm excited for everyone to dive in today. We're going to launch a poll and see who's in the room, who's tuning in live uh, to join this conversation. And while we do that, going through the agenda. So today, a couple things that we're covering, we're going to talk about why pattern interrupt is key. Um, I call it like how to not pass too big of a net. You know, you're fishing and it's like you fill, fill up the net too heavy that you can't pull the fish in. You know, we're going to we're going to make our net smaller. And then um, two things that matter more to you than your product knowledge. Harry, the way that, you know, I found you, we came into each other's lives here. We started this beautiful conversation is a post you did on LinkedIn that covered your top 10 rules for outbound. And I just loved it. I thought there was like so many refreshing, beautiful pieces of information in there. Um, We're going to share it in the chat. Perfect. Love it. But talk to me a little bit about why you wrote this post before we dive into a few questions that I had for you.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, it, it sounds weird, but it was to maximize autonomy. And, um, I don't really play the playbook game. Um, cause I think by the time you've written it, trained it and got any data back, it's old news, it's, it's fish and chip paper. Um, so the rules are kind of like a compass. They drive decision-making for your people and me. And they kind of dictate the buyer experience that you want to create. And it is usually delivered on day one of onboarding. Um, and my message is really, you have lots of autonomy here, but this is the sandbox and, um, actually autonomy is a massive, massive issue in SDR land. Because what we've, what we've done is locked down everything. We've told our people who to reach out to, what to say, how to say it, what to write. And if you lock everything down, how can you expect your people to care about improving their own performance? Cause they didn't feel like they own it. And you had a great, uh, analogy with your daughter. Um, I don't know if you want to share that, uh, with, with the room. Feel free. I remember my analogy. Oh gosh, it was, uh, <laughs> Never no mind. I should have teed you up that one. Oh uh, man, next time. I'll
0: find well, it.
1: Well, really what we're doing is at that point when you've locked everything down is you're asking your people to press buttons faster and increase volume to improve performance because they don't have any control over, uh, over their inputs. They're sending messaging written to them, written for them by, by the people. And you're kind of killing the joy out of the job, um, and it delivers bad, bu- bad experiences for buyers and it's very bad for your people because they're not thinking and learning, they're just pressing buttons. And um, final thing I'll say is I encourage all SDRs, SDR leaders to develop their own kind of vision, their own philosophy, their own rules um, to really guide the types of businesses you want to work for.
0: So this is about creating kind of boundaries and guidelines for your team to make sure that they're staying within, uh, you're not creating robots, but they're staying within a, a set of rules, basically.
1: Yeah. it's just, So instead of playing Tetris where you can do a couple of things, I want to create a sandbox like Grand Theft Auto or Skyrim where you can do loads of cool stuff, but there's certain things we, we expect from you.
0: I'm wondering, um, from the audience, if you're tuned in, let us know, are you restricted to what you can do in terms of like your outbound prospecting or is it more free flowing? kind of like harry's talking about grand theft auto styling (laughs) i like that i think we should like that could be a whole post on its own grand grand theft auto uh outreach let us know in the chat though are you how much creative freedom do you have i want to dive in um so the first thing that really caught my eye and i feel like there's conversation about this forever but people talk about it and don't always follow through on it, in my, in my opinion. Um, talk to me about this idea of low volume, high. Con-
1: yeah. Um, I think this is really what we've got away from a bit in, uh, in outbound. We focus so much on trying to drive higher volume of inputs to achieve convergence. Um, and, uh, it's. Uh, really what this is about is, uh, winning means getting more back. So outputs than you put in inputs over time and to be efficient. And I really care about that because that's the fun part to me. And I think that may be the reason why I've been doing the same things for over a decade and gone a little crazy, um, because I challenge myself to find ways to make the plays better and better and more efficient. Um, and it's a game to me, it's a gain to get a high reply rate. Um, but more meetings with less sales activities, um, get a higher contact and account hit rate. So, um, and I try to hire people that kind of believe this way as well, but I, I've also hired people from big reputable SDR roles um, who are used to playing the kind of high volume, low conversion game, you know, just adding loads of volume before they even knew what worked. and KD, uh, it sticks in my head. KD says, this is scaling sucks. And that's actually what a lot of um sdr orgs are doing right now they're you know they may have a a one percent conversion rate and they're just adding volume and expecting even to keep that one percent and it's just not going to happen so for me it actually that's the the thing that makes outbound unique is is the one-to-one targeting and because of that you're targeting people um it's inherently low volume versus the other go-to-market approaches kind of like digital ads or email marketing or whatever it's it, it's built in that it's uh it's a low volume much
0: i think there's like a certain historical point to that where it's like the if the only control button that you have is volume it's like maximize your inputs if you're not changing anything else that's the only lever that you have to pull but Like you said, there's so much of this one-to-one that really makes it magical, really makes us not robots, really makes us stand out. If you, I know a lot of people probably have a target, like number of calls or emails that they have to hit in a day. Actually, give us a one in the chat. Do you have a target that you have to hit in terms of call volume or email volume every single day as a rep? Um, Do you have advice for people if it's like my company says that I have to make 100 dials a day or 50 dials a day or 200 dials a day or whatever that is. Is there like, what's your, what's your step then? What's your play?
1: Uh, become so good that none of the stuff matters. That's, Mm -hmm. that's honestly what I, i manage many people and I don't use activity KPIs. I use active account KPIs. So you have to be reaching out to a hundred accounts in a 30 given, a 30 day period, for example. Um, because that's actually what we care about. We care that the accounts hearing from us. We don't care how many calls they get, but that, that'd be my advice. Be so good that your manager never asks you about your activity metrics. But then again, I will say there is a baseline expectation of volume from any employee that you need to learn anything about what you're doing. Um, so that it's not all bad. Activity KPIs are not all bad.
0: Cause you're getting the practice and the repetition in, especially like, I feel like early on, what's the, is it Malcolm Gladwell that says you need 10,000 hours or something?
1: There you go. Yeah, there you go. Sumento have this, uh, it's a very famous, I can't, I can't remember actually what they call it, but it's something like, I don't know if it's a, it's like a thousand dials or something like that. And they target their the new hires on, on delivering that. And, uh, I actually believe in that. I think that's You have to get beaten up and you have to (laughs) learn from the initial pain, um, to actually drive improvement over time. And that's why I included the over time piece in this, because no one starts out efficient. And I've posted my stats at scratch bad and other places. It never starts efficient, but over time, you need to try and drive down the amount of sales activities that you need to deliver the outputs you you're trying to, uh, you're trying to achieve.
0: Yeah. I really like the way you put that. Yeah. So it's not like it, there's no, uh, you can't cheat the system and like pass go and all of a sudden just be magically fabulous at everything. You have to like, you have to put in the effort and work at that efficiency piece
1: to get. Yeah, to and you should embrace that like early, early pain. Um, that's actually, that's the best planning moment. And I, I built four, four SDR teams now from zero. And the ones that went terribly are the ones I learned most from, and they're the things that really stick with you. It's like burning, burning your hand as a child, you know? Mm -hmm.
0: I like it. Okay, let's switch it up. I think this is something that gets talked about a lot, but it's not always easy to, um, feel or implement. So I want to dig into some examples with you, but talk to me first about why the pattern interrupt makes your top 10 list.
1: Yeah. Um, so Josh Braun taught me this and I, I, I bet, uh, maybe hundreds of thousands of others. <laughs> um, and he quotes advertising legend, David Trott. Um, and he talks about the red X and a sea of white circles and anyone listening, if you have an hour or two, go Google, D- uh, David Trott and listen to some of his lectures on YouTube. They're very, very interesting. Um, Lavender talk about this too a lot. Um, Will, Alred, Chelsea Castle. And if you've seen their content, their website, and actually when you meet them in person, they, they their whole aura is a pattern interrupt. They're just slightly different from everything else you see in B2B. And it's actually very logical if you think about it. For any buyer to consider you, they have to pay attention first. And that's what I'm trying to communicate here, is that your first ever battle is to get the buyer to pay attention to you. And the channel actually doesn't matter people talk about email call, whatever you have seconds regardless of where it is to be that little bit different from the norm um and all the other people trying to get your buyers attention or your buyer will default to what they feel safe doing and what they feel safe doing with cold outbound is ignore unsub hang up not interested all the other th- object uh objections we get and um and that's why it's the first battle. And there's there's various different examples I can share as well.
0: Yeah. I heard the other day that like by seven, we have all these seven years old, we have all these like neural pathways built to like auto respond. So when we see our parents or our, the people around us, like modeling that behavior, that oh. becomes our behavior. Oh. So it is like the learned response, like to ignore, to delete, to hang up, to do whatever, and how do we get around? their automatic response. I thought that was so that's interesting. It.
1: That's exactly it. And it's actually, it's actually very simple. You only have to be a tiny bit different because that's how the human mind works. It puts you into categories and patterns. So,
0: Okay, yeah. so I give a couple examples.
1: Yeah. So, I, uh, Scratchpad is my first PLG environment. And that makes me very lucky because I have thousands of users who will help me um, you just have to ask in the right way at the right time. And that, that first party data from reps within an org is often the best source of data. I can't find that on the internet anywhere. Um, I've used visuals before, and I think I've shared one with you. Uh, maybe we could share it with the audience. Yeah, just- this is at Intellimize. We hired Markatunist. I think most people have probably heard of Markatunist to create 10 cartoons that really trolled the status quo. Um, And they work really, really well. Um, So this is an example. Um, We would send these as bump emails, and the reply rates were were really, really strong. Um, And then obviously you add humor in there. There's another email I've shared with you and this is an email I sent to Justin Keller who was VP of marketing at Drift at the time. He really likes Indian food. He'd post it on his Twitter. Um, So I sent him uh, an Indian cookbook and I used curry pans in all the in the gift note, not, not an email, not a call in the gift note. So as he's looking at the gift I'd sent him, he saw all the curry punts. Um, now those are quite heavy lift ones. You know, that's not something everyone's going to do all the time, but these little unscalable things, uh, are are, uh, are very achievable. If you, if you start thinking about prospect outbound in the right way, um, there's lots and lots of very simple ones too. um, uh, names names are great. Um, so if you're, a, if you're reaching out to a sales leader, you could use names of people on their team. And lucky for me, I know who they are, who's using Scratchpad, etc. et cetera, yeah. or you can use their CRO. And I like to try and combine these with stories that happen every day in their world, their, their jobs to be done, et cetera. And corporate Bo does this very, very well. He just posted something about micromanaging managers. And I've been I've, I've been through three or four of those examples that he shared. And that's what I think gets people to lean in so much to him. And he's probably not worked on a central for years, to be honest, but he's still so accurate. So I like to combine names and stories. And if you think about the SDR world, we've all been hung up on, we've all been ghosted, we've all spent 10 minutes writing a personalized email, just to get an unsub, these are kind of the, the stories and the status quo that are very easy to, to replicate across buyers very very simply yeah anyone feel
0: called out right now i'm sitting here like yes yes <laughs> back yeah. and it's true it's like that relatability that brings y- it like draws you in a little bit i that you mentioned the name one um both things have worked on me as a buyer too as a prospect like when i see um either a leader in my company's name on the subject line i'm like oh shoot like i should i should pay attention to that or as a manager and it's like listed out three of my reps names i was like what what do you know about my reps let me I, like i there's that peaked curiosity i have to open i'm interested now i'm invested um really interesting and like storytelling man that's like such a superpower goes such a long way
1: yeah and they're, they're just micro stories right um we tell mm-hmm. we a we sell a forecasting product and everyone has sat in that sales meeting where the sales leader or the CEO says why is our commit drop pass in just before this meeting, and everyone just stares blankly up, like a deer. Yeah, you know, like right. If I speak first, uh, something's going to happen. <laughs> exactly, and I, that's a that, that's a story that scales, right? <laughs> because we've all been there. Um, and then combining that with names, I, it has gone wrong for me a couple of times where I've I've suggested that one of our users, a rep, and use their name was. Always on top of their Salesforce activity. Always great at forecasting, and it hasn't been the case. But yeah, they listen to me, which is what I was trying to trying to achieve in the first place. So,
0: or you at least solicit a response. Okay, I love this next one here. This fish in in puddles. Yeah, fish in puddles. Yes. I mean, walk us through. I want to visualize this. I walk will, through, Harry.
1: Yeah. So I think we've, anyone who's been in Outbound, as long as I have, we've all made this mistake. So if you imagine your Tam or even ICP is the ocean, right? Um, in Outbound, our biggest advantage, I think, is targeting and one-to-one targeting. Uh, Ryan Reiser talks about the list being your strategy, and this is that concept. Um, but for me, you don't really want to fish in the ocean. You leave that to marketing. Marketing can do that really well. They're great at it. In Outbound, we want to think about very small puddles within that ocean, small patches of water. And we need to get very, very specific on who the person is, why them, and that it actually becomes personalization. And when, when we're reaching out to them. And that is actually the hardest part. I, I I built prospecting plays I thought were fantastic. They got loads of replies. We even had meetings. They're great. but timing was so badly off for this person that... It never led to any anywhere, not even a qualified opportunity, let alone revenue. Um, and here's a good example. So, if you sell sales tech to a mid-market, above the line VP of Sales in the US, right? That could be your ocean. Now, the puddle might be you have shared investors, sales leaders had six months into the role, they have a team size of at least eight, they use Salesforce, they're closing orders in ninety days. And now, I also believe that you should have multiple puddles running at the same time. And the puddle is the start of the play. The targeting is the start of the play. Um, And I'm usually very, very early at these coming. I'm usually the first SDR hire, to be honest. Um, So when starting a new play, I try to get as specific as possible as I can to find efficiency first, and then you can always expand the play once it's efficient. You can always sort of loosen it up and and make the puddle a bit bigger.
0: Okay, so that's a great like a great segue into like how do you do that you mentioned like you're one of the first sometimes at the organizations that you're working mm-hmm. with you're their first sdr how do you zoom in on a puddle what are you looking for like do you go through close one business existing clients where what do you
1: yeah i wish it was that like i wish i did way loss analysis it's mostly gut feeling and speaking like that. to, yeah speaking to <laughs> internal and external people about it and just ideas like that that's honestly I think why I'm <laughs> I am still chasing strangers for meetings after a decade because like that's the thing that gets my mind never stops with that sort of stuff it just comes to me because that's how I've kept myself entertained all these years um but then the other thing I may I may look at is g 2 is just a great a great source of this because they tell you their their context, the before context so I think hey how can I reverse engineer that status quo and who else would that apply to and again the uh, we uh, we run a play called The Radar where we literally ask our users is this your context?" and if you reply and tell us we'll give you an upgraded license or gift card or whatever but you can actually fish for this uh, for this information very easily in the PLG world you definitely can
0: yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um that's really like I think you mentioned conversations with the people. So you're like internal and external, you're looking for this and you're just data gathering. Yeah. And then you're it's like you're building a hypothesis almost and you're saying it I'm going to go test this.
1: Yeah, and that that is what outbound is. Yeah. If we break it down, that's what you're testing. You're testing your belief on who should be your next best customer or your future customer. That's it. And I th- I just, uh, everyone knows I love Outbound, but it, I also believe it's the fastest way to get feedback on that hypothesis. I also believe it has the lowest barrier to entry. So all these people saying Outbound's dead, they then go and spend nine months on a rebrand and all this stuff without any exact data. Uh, outbound should really be the tip of the, the spear, in my view, to learn what works, what doesn't work, to inform the rest of it. But maybe I'm biased.
0: No. No, yep. okay um if anyone has questions you can pop them in there's A Q&A section on your toolbar um while you're doing that you can also upvote other people's if you see someone have a question that you want to hear answered you can push the thumbs up and it will push it to the top of my screen um but harry i wanted to ask you like what what how you feel about like product knowledge versus other things that matter more in terms of being a great seller I've got a...
1: Yeah, I think product knowledge is is important, obviously, but I think learning people and humans and problems and the problems, you know, with the status quo should come one and two. Product could be three. KD did a great post the other day about um, that we've lost industry knowledge. Maybe industry knowledge is three and product is four, five, I don't know what it is, because... We all know people don't buy product. They they buy they buy what you know uh, relief from pain. They buy they don't actually buy the product. Um, That's a Sam Hulick Mario uh, cart the Mario uh, diagram everyone's seen. Um, So yeah, I just recommend people uh, people in outbound should focus on learning human psychology because that's going to apply to any role you're in, whether you sell IT security or sales tech. It's still going to apply. So I would, I would recommend you focus there. I actually don't do much product in any onboarding I, uh, I build or, or deliver. I, just, I, I don't think it's that important. Because if someone asks you something about the product that you don't know the answer to, you can turn that into discovery very, very easily. Um, you just say, hey, I think I know the answer, but I'm not sure. Why is that important? Just so I, I've got that down. Tell me more about that. Oh, I'll get you an answer. Hey, when can you speak about that? You know, how do you do that today? Like, it's it. It actually doesn't matter what we know, right? We actually just need to understand the buyer at my stage. Obviously, this is I book meetings when you're an AE, when you're an SE, when you're other part of the go-to-market. Or you've got to be very, very knowledgeable on the product. I actually prefer not to be.
0: <laughs> prefer not to be. Yeah. Uh, prefer not to be. Okay, so. Um, Leah asks, are there ways that you integrate gift-giving or physical meetings with your outbound?
1: Yes, and I think I know Leah. I think uh, Leah's awesome, by the way. Um, Gift-giving. I've been a Sendosa user for a long, 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 long time. I don't do the big mass, you know, take a meeting for a gift card type thing. I like personalized gifts. So you've already told the world what you love on social media, most times, um, all these big ad platforms use that. data to target you with ads. Why can't I sit to send you something that you actually care about? Um, so I promote that, that one-to-one gift giving. Um, but there's also lots of micro gift giving. Like if someone responds to me and gives me some information that can help me, that first party data that can help me in an account, of course I'm going to buy them one. but I don't gate it. I don't say take a meeting and then I'll do this. Right. Um, it's just simple reciprocation. Again, human psychology. There you go.
0: Right, the, you're not holding it over them like a like no. the carrot. Okay, it's more of it's personalized and it's something that you know as a thank you. A lot of times. Yeah. That's um. So, uh, Andreas mentioned the fiddle leaf, so I'll give another shout out to Amanda and Anthony for letting me crash the Audience Plus Studio today. If you're in Arizona and you're looking to record something, this is the spot. Um, okay, what about, when you think about successful cold outreach, what are some key things that make email actually get a response in your opinion, your thoughts, like your practice? What works for you, Harry?
1: Yeah, uh, 94% of what I think about outbound comes from Jeff Ball, So, if anyone hasn't bought his B two B badass B two B guide, he updates it constantly. It is the best value course you can ever buy in sales fun. So I recommend you go there first before you listen to anything I say. <laughs> he talks about having four questions, and these are the but these are the questions in your buyer's mind every time they receive cold outreach. They say, "Should I pay attention?" That's an interrupt, right? Um, do I like you? And this is that gut feeling, right? <laughs> you know, when you meet someone, you are like, "Hey, I want to." I- I don't mind spending time with this person versus, Oh, I'm, I'm going right. Um, one of those things we, we tend to be negative in sales. We talk about pain. We can reframe those words to be positive. People like spending time with people who are positive. Um, can you help me solve a problem? And it's a big one. And then finally, are you credible? And the credibility piece is tough for SDRs, right? We've just started our career. We are battling everyone's negative perceptions about us. Um, so I just lean on the voice of the customer to do that. Right. Um, I've been very fortunate to work at, uh, very small companies, but they have really good social proof. Right. Um, so I always lean on the, the customer voice, customer, um, testimonials, videos, et cetera. So that, but also, you're also credible by not demanding a senior buyer's most, um, as precious resource, which is their time, right? You can, you can actually be just that little bit different by instead of asking for time on a call, just say, you know, a, a much lower friction CTA, or even ask them to share with the team. If it's interesting, that's it. You don't need, uh, I think you damage your credibility when you think that the CMO of a fortune 100 company is going to spend 15 minutes on a call with you, right? It's just not going to happen. I'm sorry. And trust me, I've tried, it's not going to happen. That 15 minutes is worth a lot of money, and they're not going to spend it on so cool g-ups.
0: It's like opening weird. up, yeah, opening your wallet up to a stranger and just like dumping it. No. yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Harry, listen, 30 minutes flew by way too fast with you, but we can't finish this without giving a shout out to our fabulous first time watcher, your daughter.
1: Oh, yeah, Charlotte, if you're listening, I love you. Thanks for watching please don't go Please don't go in sales please
0: yeah no oh come on future of sales right there future of
1: sales i Do hope can. i hope she doesn't i hope she's clever
0: we are going to share how you can get in touch with harry if you check out the link right there in the chat but we are back tomorrow you guys there is live objection handling tomorrow you've got a fantastic cast tune into the show Again, huge shout out to Apollo and Audience Plus. Thank you for this beautiful space and for being such a fabulous partner, Harry. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and for joining me today. It was so great chatting with you.
1: Thanks, Leslie. Have a great day.
0: Everybody take care.